Well, hello, everybody, and we are so happy to have you here with us again tonight. What an exciting night, and thank you, Janet Lee, on this uh, uh, happy birthday time uh, and wonderful, wonderful playing, and uh, uh, our friend volunteer that played on the piano uh, without any notice, uh, we want to thank him also. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we are so happy to be here tonight on part nine of Tracks upon the Mount of Transfiguration. So I have an awful lot to share with you tonight, and I'm hoping that I'm going to be able to get through all of this uh, so that we have time uh, to do the sub-edition. But we're not going to, uh, to miss out on getting this message across, and we do have one more, uh, one more meeting of the Tracks Upon the Mountain, number 10, uh, to finish this series and to do our sub-edition. Uh, we want to talk about <clears throat> something that um, is, is, you know, a thing that every uh, believer, every Christian should have knowledge of. <clears throat> you should definitely be aware of the fact that um, uh, when the uh, vast majority of biblical uh, archaeologists uh, get involved with uh, the historical accuracy of the Bible stories, especially including uh, stories about Exodus and their trek uh, and sojourn through the wilderness, <clears throat> that um, they have not been able to find a track way. They have not been able to find uh, where uh, a civilization of two, three million people uh, could journey through the wilderness for the amount of time that they did and virtually leave no archaeological, uh, uh, you know, message uh, in the way of pottery, in the way of, uh, you know, junk and garbage. Uh, and it's, uh, you know, quite a serious thing uh, to many of these archaeologists because uh, they just believe that uh, the story of Moses, of Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac uh, is just myth because uh, they cannot find a backing archaeologically. And uh, when, when they go to look for, for instance, uh, the story of Joshua, and they go to look for the, the, uh, the city of, uh, Jer of Jericho that was, uh, you know, uh, uh, broken down uh, uh, after they marched around it seven times. Uh, when, when they go to where the Jericho is that they, they do the archaeology on, uh, it goes back way, way, way in time, way, way, supposedly, way, way before the uh, the journey uh, of of uh, Joshua was taken into the Promised Land, and uh, and even before that, before they went and uh, you know attacked uh, some of these other cities, Ai and so forth, and uh, according to their records, it, they see where uh, those um, uh, you know properties and cities, uh, you know, uh, either did not exist, like Judah and some of those, that was just bare land. And they said all Joshua really had to do was go over there and move their people in. And these other cities had, had, had been destroyed by natural events or, or other wars. And, and they, they just can't put the story together except to say that, you know, it's a great story that some of the priests made up, but they can't see where the story is true. Well, we have to understand the seriousness of those charges. These are professional people. 
and um, we have to under, not just say, well, they just don't understand and pay no attention to them, because you know they're scientists and 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 they're uh, uh, you know coming up with uh, with what they consider to be evidence, and or a lack of evidence. In this case, a lack of evidence, and um, it's serious because uh, you know uh, Jesus testified of the things of Moses, and he quoted those scriptures, and and so did Paul, and some of the and 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 some of the great uh, uh, men of God of of the uh, New Testament era through Jesus Christ. So if these other things are just myths and they're incorrect then that brings it all the way back uh, to Jesus and to uh, you know, Paul and, and, and to the other uh, men of God. And so it's an extremely serious thing. And so tonight, as I want to be able to explain to you what really did happen and why they have not been able to find some of these archaeological tracks, uh, because I don't, I don't think there's anything more important than how we can start off this uh, whole thing, but would be to get that straight. Uh, and and so I want to take the time uh, to answer some of these things uh, about uh, how this all happened. Okay, now um, first off, uh, I want to say this. I want to say that um, uh, that there was definitely a plan that God had, and uh, the plan that God had was uh, very very different from uh, how that people have thought that uh, this whole uh, sojourn uh, of 40 years in the wilderness uh, actually took place. First off, there is definite scripture, definite scripture that teaches uh, uh, what I call the Selah rock story. And this is why the word Selah is so absolutely uh, important. Selah meaning, you know, thus says uh, the Lord. Uh, because it is it is um, a special word that has to do with Petra or Sila and the meeting place, uh, which which is right where the mountain of God, uh, the Mount Horeb, where the burning bush was, is located uh, on the sort of like on the other side of Midian and closer to the side of of the Edomites, <coughs> but it's still in Midian. And uh, I want to read uh, uh, some things out of the Bible about this, and I want you to get this down. Uh, but in Exodus 3.12, it says, You shall serve God upon this mountain, which was the Mount of Horeb. You're going to serve God upon that mountain. And once we understand that, that that was the plan. Uh, and, and here's how it happened. Uh, there is a scripture um, that says um, that when uh, uh, the children of Israel went out of Egypt. They went out harnessed. And that word divides into five parts. And so I have been teaching for years now that prior to the Exodus that um, Moses uh, commissioned uh, families and groups of people uh, to uh, just leave as though they were tourists and, and, and to make their way uh, going south uh, into Canaan, following along the on the Mediterranean side, uh, and uh, to uh, understand that they were to stop uh, in the various cities and get various kind of victuals and various kinds of uh, things that the people 
uh, of Israel would need, and then they were to bring those vigils, and and uh, they were given finances to do this, because uh, I think I've told you before that um, Moses and the children of Israel, uh, they uh, they took uh, advantage of the uh, the treasure cities of Pharaoh, which uh, were built by the by Israel uh, slaves. And uh, they enriched themselves with uh, the goods that were there. So it is, um, it is extremely uh, important uh, to understand this whole thing and how that these were divided into five parts. So four parts of this group uh, went uh, different uh, directions, uh, but basically going south, taking the easier route, and going into various other parts, uh, you know, uh, of, of Canaan. And um, and 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 then making that rendezvous uh, to Sila to the city of Petra, so so uh, it's uh, very very important to understand that plan, and so a large group of people uh, took uh, the trek and and went that way. Then one uh, other group uh, they went the way of the wilderness, and uh, their plan was also to go back to where Moses. Uh, had uh, met his wife, had had met uh, the priest uh, who was the father, his father-in-law, and who had uh, given him not only a uh, a daughter to marry, uh, as I said, his wife he met there, and who had made a provision and a home for him, uh, and uh, put him to work as uh, being head of all of his flocks, and 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 that of course was uh, when and where that. Uh, Moses uh, saw the burning bush uh, out at the Mount Horeb, and uh, where this great revelation began to come to him about uh, freeing the children of, of uh, Israel out of Egypt from slavery. And the whole plan was to come back. So when he left to go to, um, to uh, Egypt to deal with setting his people free, and of course, the the pharaoh that had uh, pursued him that wanted to kill him uh, uh, that whole regime was 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 gone and there was a whole whole new uh, acting uh, pharaoh government there uh, but still uh, he did not want to chance taking his wife and his children two boys uh, so he left them with his father-in-law and uh, and then he met uh, Aaron part way and then they went back together. And this is the true story of, of how it happened. Uh, and when they got to, um, uh, to uh, Egypt, they began to tell the story to the uh, people and, and you know, give them the signs and the wonders that God had given them at the burning bush. And uh, people began to believe. But it was a long story yet before they would be ready to leave the land and totally trust in this. They would need to see miracles. And, of course, the pharaoh of that time and his staff would have to see miracles. And it would take uh, the hand of the Lord uh, to ultimately bring, uh, you know, this whole thing about. But uh, keep in mind that there is a very neat explanation so that when uh, when Moses and his uh, uh, people left uh, to go into the wilderness, uh, all of the, the soldiers were in that group. There was... 600,000 soldiers, and and um, uh, they were all in that group, and then, of course, there there were some other just uh, 
uh, the Levites and other people that were involved uh, in that, that sojourn. Uh, but that still left a large group of people uh, into these uh, other four divisions uh, that went as tourists on into, uh, you know, the, the uh, we'll call it the Holy Land or, or south uh, uh, into Canaan. And so uh, now here is what I want to share with you, and it is so absolutely important that uh, you understand this on this uh, whole thing about the archaeological trail of Moses and Israel. First, to understand that, number one, the history, the Egyptian history and world history is basically incorrect. They do not have the timing down. They do not have the right date of the Exodus, nor do they have the right date of the pharaohs, uh, nor do they have the right um, uh, archaeological understanding of what actually happened why they could not find a trail of Moses and Israel. And, uh, and uh, so I, I want to share a, a scripture that is uh, so very, very unique. Uh, it, it is just an absolutely unique uh, scripture. And um, it, it talks about that God spoke to, um, uh, to Moses and he says, uh, when when uh, your people are uh, are out in the field and uh, they have to uh, uh, you know uh, disperse with their uh, private uh, 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 debris and uh, their feces that uh, it was very important that uh, they put a paddle that there was a paddle built upon their weapons. Now this is in Deuteronomy 29.13, and I don't have the time to turn to all these scriptures. But they put a paddle upon their weapons, and how they explained it is so that when the angel of the Lord walked through the camp, there would not be piles of human dung uh, lying around in different places, uh, visible and, and, and stinking and smelling and, and like a sewer on top of the ground. And so this was what they had been commanded, uh, that on their weapons they would have this capability uh, to, to bury their, their, their feces, their dung. And, uh, and, and now I'm going to use that to show you that during this whole time of this, ex, of this exodus, uh, and I'm going to read some of these scriptures, but in Exodus 13:21 through 22, there was a pillar of light that came down over uh, the people of of, uh, of Israel as they were on this sojourn. So just turning right now to Exodus 13, because I'm going to read you some of these scriptures. They are so beautifully important, just so super important. All right. Um, now, in the um, first in the 12th chapter of Exodus and the 51st verse, it says, And it came to pass the same day that the Lord did bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their armies. And uh, and in the MIV uh, translation of that, uh, it basically shows that it was uh, the armies that actually of, of, uh, uh, of uh, you know, uh, of Israel uh, that, that were the people 
along with some of the children of Israel, some of the other people like some Levites, and, and there were some of the princes and, and, uh, and various other representatives of the tribes uh, and, uh, and, you know, some families that did, uh, did go. But this scripture shows that it was basically, uh, it was basically connected with the idea of their armies. Now, someone might read that. And they would say, no, that's not what that means. That means that it was the armies, uh, the army of Israel, that enabled them to make this journey and to escape. But that is just not Bible. Uh, when we really read what the Bible really says, uh, there is no question, there is no question that what it really says is that God went before, uh, with his angels, went before them, and, and God actually fought for Israel. So when you understand that God fought for Israel, these these armies uh, really ha only had to come along and do the cleanup, because and we're going to show you the scriptures for that. So this other thing about uh, did bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their armies, uh, basically means that this particular route that they took uh, was mostly incorporated uh, by the armies and and some of the uh, the people that were involved with the armies and and uh, and etc and so it, it it verifies that now this scripture i want to turn to was uh, chapter uh, 13 in exodus um and beginning with the uh 21st verse and so you know here's what it says um and the lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and night and he took not away the pillar of the cloud by day, nor the pillar of the cloud from before the people. Now, you have to understand that this pillar of cloud was tied into what is called the sacred, uh, the, the sacred Shekinah glory. Now, the Shekinah glory, um, in part, comes from a word uh, in the scriptures, in the Exodus, uh, the word abode. And 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 it is uh, uh, shakan, uh, which is uh, from the Hebrew, and uh, and it it is the word from which Shekinah comes. So uh, here is this incredible, uh, super uh, spiritual um, energy of God that is hovering over the people of Israel. It is a pillar of light by day and a pillar of fire by night. And it is over them all the time. And basically, they don't move unless the cloud moves. Now, when you understand the environment that these people were in, they were under the umbrella of, of the most incredible sacred environment, day and night situation. So, yes, they had, they had paddles to bury uh, their feces. They, they, that was not all. They were were instructed uh, to uh, to take all garbage with them so uh, as to uh, have special way of disintegrating that at certain places uh, so that there would not be any trail left uh, for the Egyptians to follow because uh, they knew from stories of the past about the Egyptians being a very determined warlike people that they would follow they would follow the Israelites 
uh, even after their defeat at at the Red Sea, uh, they could easily put together another army and 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 come again. So so uh, they were were being very clever not to leave any kind of broken pottery, any kind of garbage, any kind of debris, and that the other part of it was that this was to be kept from the sight of the Shekinah glory, to be kept out of the sight, just like the the feces was to be kept out of the sight, because these people were in the most incredible environment that has ever before uh, been shown to have happened on earth. I don't say that it never happened before, because I'm sure that in the Garden of Eden uh, there was something very similar to that, uh, and maybe even more potent than that. But nevertheless, it was it was just absolutely super colossally important and glorious, and and it was of such a nature that day and night these pillars are following. Now I have seen these Shekinah uh, uh, Shekinah glory pillars, and 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 they uh, emanate uh, the most divine presence that can even be imagined. They are just abs- absolutely uh, mind-boggling, and, and uh, they grab you by your spirit. Uh, they hold you in a fascination uh, that does not leave as long as that Shekinah glory uh, is before your eyes. And so it is a fantastic thing. Now, we begin to understand the power, then, of this Shekinah glory and how that it affected them. So these uh, archaeologists... Uh, who are digging and looking for pottery, uh, they're not going to find any pottery on the trail. They're not going to find any pottery on the trail. Now, some people are going to say, yeah, but the children of Israel were in the wilderness for 40 years. Well, actually, that is not totally true. And I'm going to show you the scriptures for that before we are through here today and how that that really worked. Because what really happened was the... The, the children of Israel, they went and they uh, uh, mixed uh, just right close uh, about, uh, uh, maybe not right in the same city, but they they did trade with them. And they basically moved in on uh, the Midianite uh, territory and, 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 be- and became a part of, the, of that territory. And that makes it very, very interesting uh, when you consider that. Because um, if we look uh, archaeologically uh, at that, uh, there are some very, very interesting considerations, and we're going to we're going to get into that. We're going to to cover it uh, uh, because uh, uh, the 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 fact of of uh, archaeological things uh, is just not understood. Now, considering that what I'm telling you is a fact, and and it is a fact that they actually were living in with the Midianites. Uh, it is very, very interesting that when uh, they have done some of the pottery checking, uh, you know, uh, uh, that the that uh, they have found um, Edomite uh, uh, Iron Age pottery, uh, which does not relate to any Palestinian or Jordani, uh, Jordanian equivalent. Uh, types 1 and 3 uh, of this pottery are found even in isolation, uh, and they've also found uh, Egyptian and and Negrevite, uh, uh Meridian uh, ware, uh, and have it, uh, made uh, uh, that to be attested. Uh, and let's understand something: what kind of pottery do you think that the 
that the Israelites had. They came out of Egypt. Most likely, they had Egyptian pottery. So when they find Egyptian pottery over in those areas of the Midian, Midianites and, and, and close to the Edomites, uh, uh, you know, it, yeah, those army, their armies did go through there. They did have stations in those areas. But the, the, the Israelites would have also had some of their, their pottery, and they would have had some of the Midianite pottery. And, and so uh, when they looked there to find the pottery of, of, the, um, of, of the Israelites, uh, there isn't no distinct pottery of the Israelites that, at that time. Uh, later, there was pottery made by the Israelites that had its own distinct design. But at that time, there's really not any pottery to speak of to be shown. And so, you know, they, they have been looking for something that doesn't exist. And that is very important to show that there are these types of pottery that they did find there, and some in isolation, that didn't match any of the other kinds of pottery like Palestinian or Jordanian uh, equivalents. And, and that, that uh, these were special types, uh, you know, that they found in isolation. For instance, if the, if the children of Israel had moved just outside of the main city and, and had set up their tents and camps, uh, you know, closer to Mount Horeb, uh, then, uh, uh, you know, it, it, would, it would have been uh, maybe uh, a, a, had a slightly different type to it uh, just because of, of the age and so forth. But uh, that, I think, is very, very important, and it begins to bring some of these tests that they have made around, and it begins to explain why that the, their, uh, their road trade and, and their garbage left no traces. Uh, and this was all due to the Shekinah glory effect uh, that, was, that was over the children of Israel. And, and why they had the panels and so forth. Now let's uh, go back to these scriptures. We were in Psalms 107. <coughs> let's see. I'm at the right place. Um, just a second here. Because uh, this, this is just uh, so absolutely uh, interesting. No, we were in Exodus, sorry. Exodus 13, 21 through 22. We read that already. Now look at Exodus 40, 34. Ex Exodus 40, 34. And uh, that is... Uh, going to just verify this whole thing about how involved this uh, old, you know, uh, Shekinah glory and the things that God was doing. Uh, verse 34 and through 38. Okay. Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Not only was there the glory cloud that was over and the pillar, but sometimes the, 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 the cloud and you remember last week when we were talking about the different kinds of clouds, I mentioned that one of the clouds that was different than the spacecraft clouds were the Shekinah uh, glory clouds. And here we see uh, uh, a cloud covered the tent of the congregation, of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now, you've got this glory coming down on the very earth itself into the very camp itself. And Moses... Verse 35, now we're in Exodus 40, and that's verse 34 through the next few verses here. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode thereon, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now, when we talk about uh, uh, displacement, and we're talking about, um, we're talking about um, 
Shekinah glory uh, filling the tabernacle and it having a displacement characteristic so that Moses was not able to enter the tent of the congregation because the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Not because of, its, uh, of how divine it was and he wasn't purified enough, but because it was filled and there was no room left that he could walk in there, even though he was in a physical body, there was a substance of, of spirit there that was created that filled that entire building and, and he could not walk into it, even Moses himself. Now you talk about a divine, uh, a divine environment, Iran, a divine environment. Uh, you talk about why there was to be no garbage, why there was to be paddles put on the, the weapons. And you begin to see that, um, that this is because um, uh, of, of all this divine glory that was, that was over the people uh, and how that it came down and even mingled in the tabernacle in the, of the congregation to the point that Moses, as close to God as he was, could not walk in because it was filled with the glory. Wow. All right. Let's go on. And when the cloud was taken up from, from over the tabernacle, the children of Israel went onward in their journeys. But if the cloud were not taken up, then they journeyed not until the day that it was taken up for the cloud of the Lord was upon the tabernacle by day, and fire was on it by night, in the sight of all of the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Now, this wasn't just for a day or a week or a month. This was throughout all their journeys. And it was, it was by night and by day, and it was in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. They could, they, they could see this. Whether it was the Shekinah by day or whether it was the Shekinah by night, they could see it. And it was over them. And when they stopped, it stopped. When, when it stopped, they stopped. And they could not continue forward on the journey until it moved. And then they would move and follow it. So they had to be ready to go. And And I suppose, and this would be uh, uh, my my um, um, suspicion is that if they did not have all of their garbage and everything properly put together and collected, that the glory cloud did not move. And it, and it would not move until they had everything succinct, everything uh, bagged or everything put in a place ready for its dematerialization at some place along the road at a later time. So that there was no garbage Nothing that was not properly, safely put so it wouldn't be fallen off, leaving a trail. And when that was all done and everybody was, had followed the rules and, and the place was left clean, even, even the, the human uh, feces was buried, then the glory cloud moved on. Now, imagine the effect of the glory cloud on the plants of the ground on the earth, the ground itself, that even that shining radiance, that generated light, uh, which we will talk about uh, more about it later, uh, would, would go down upon the ground and, and would purify the ground. 
and and possibly uh, even the the any wheel prints or 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 any kind of uh, of uh, of track impressions uh, may have just been e eradicated uh, just by, just by the effect of the Shekinah glory uh, shining down over these people with its generating radiating light and and, and its displacement capability. Just as it filled the tabernacle, there was no room left, and as that came down, began to pe penetrate into the pores of the ground. And as it penetrated into the pores of the ground, it raised the footprints to ground level, raised the track prints to ground level. And when they moved out of there, that effect continued, and when they were gone, there was nothing there left to look and say, here was the people of Israel. Here, here, here parked the people of Israel. And only in those few cases where they were parked by some big rocks and the, and the Israelites uh, wrote upon the rocks, was there any signs that they had been there. And, and, uh, and of course, it's not even known the time uh, uh, that those allude to when those were written if later or, or whenever. But, but it's very, very uh, interesting and, and very beautiful to understand the, the, the uh, preservation power of the Shekinah glory and, and how that in Deuteronomy 8.4 it says, The raiment waxed not old that was worn by the Israelites. Neither did neither did their foot swell, which really is about their their footwear. That their footwear wasn't so worn out that it began to cause their feet uh, to, to become infected and sore and swollen. Uh, they had a preser uh, a, uh, a preservation uh, that happened to them uh, because they were under the Shekinah glory effect. This Shekinah glory effect, uh, you know, uh, is is a a perfect uh, uh, perpetuation of con of the continuum, uh, uh, you know, effect of of eternalness, and uh, it it has an effect uh, that a person can imagine, you know, like uh, Aaron was 123 years old uh, when he went up to the Mount Hor and 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 he died, uh, when um, uh, Moses took his uh, uh, departure, he was 120 years old. Uh, these people, uh, you know, not only were they under this Shekinah glory effect, but they were eating manna, which was, the Bible says, a food prepared by the angels. And the angels biologically prepared it uh, so that it would, uh, it would recognize, the food would recognize the Sabbath and would not be available on the Sabbath in the natural way that it normally was. And so it was a divine food that they were eating, and they ate that, the Bible says, until they crossed the Jordan. And after that, they did not eat the manna anymore, uh, but they began to eat on the, on the foods and the fruits of the land. But not until they passed over uh, the Jordan uh, did they get into uh, a change of the manna, manna they were eating. So... As you, I don't mean that they didn't ever have anything else with that. We know that there was times they had the quail, and I'm sure there were times they had some other things. But but there was there was a, a spiritual divine uh, uh, plan here in their food and and in the Shekinah glory that was over them and the effect it was having on, on not only their 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 bodies, their lives, uh, but but uh, even upon the earth itself. 
and and uh, how that it uh, created an order uh, of, of cleanliness, and uh, and so there was no trail for 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 the archaeology uh, for the archaeologists to find, and that is a beautiful beautiful thing, and that that. Uh, um, uh, scripture I quoted you about the the raiment did not wax old. That's in Deuteronomy eight verse four, and if, and in case you didn't get it, the paddle upon their weapons was in Deuteronomy twenty nine uh, thirteen, and and that I just I just uh, I think, you know we we have to praise God, we have to praise God for these things because they they're absolutely beautiful. Uh, now, I want to go on with the, this uh, revelation about uh, the Selah Rock uh, story. Meet uh, at Midian, uh, the mountain of God, because uh, that, that's what it says. You know, you're going to serve God upon that mountain, Re Exodus 3.12. Let's turn to Psalms 107. Turn with me in your Bibles to Psalms 107. And I want to read a few things there that are interesting. Now, in Psalms 107, here's what it says. Verse 3, And he gathered them out of the lands, from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. And they wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Hunger, hungry and thirsty, their souls fainted in them. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. And he led them forth the right way that they might go to a city of habitation. Now, on their way, on the, on the, on the, the trip, uh, they different times would ask different uh, villages and people they passed uh, for, uh, you know, if they could pass through their, their areas. And, and they were told no. And, and, and so we see from those uh, examples further up the scripture uh, read that, they ran into those same kind of things during this whole journey. And, and uh, uh, th th there was no plan for a city in those places that they were, uh, was the, the, play, the, the road of sojourning because that was a hostile wilderness. And, uh, and it's, it's called something very uh, uh, close to that in the Bible. It makes it very clear it's a very hostile place. And, uh, and and they you know they had trouble with water. Uh, Moses had to do the miracles through the Lord to to provide water out of the rock. Uh, uh, there had to be miracle of of the supply of manna and the quail and and food. Uh, uh, you know they wondered sometimes out of fear where their next meal would come from, but it was always provided. And and they were afraid. They were hungry. They were thirsty. They were they were they they were scared. And um, they cried unto the Lord, and he delivered them out of their distresses. And he led them forth the right way, that they might go to a city of habitation. And there we have in the scripture that the plan all along was for them to go to a city, not to go to a city and, and to destroy it at that time, but to go to a city of habitation, where there was people already living there, and for them to go and, and to join with those people and and live with those people and there you have it right in the scripture right in the scripture let's look at psalms uh 107 uh, 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 let's see where do we want to go here 3143 3143 okay psalms 107 3143 
Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt him also in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. He turneth rivers into a wilderness and the water springs into dry ground, a fruitful land into barrenness and the wilderness and uh, for the wickedness of them that dwell therein. He turneth the wilderness into standing water and dry ground into spring, uh, water springs. And there he makes the hungry to dwell and, they, and, and that they may prepare a city of habitation and sow the fields and plant vineyards <coughs> which, may, which may yield fruits of increase. He blessed them also so that they are multiplied greatly and suffered not their cattle uh, to be uh, decreased. De- uh, okay. Now, uh, here, is, here is what we want to show. We want to show if God is saying, you know, if people are wicked, uh, then I, I, I turn the land into a wilderness and a desert. <coughs> I, dry up the, I dry up the rivers. Uh, if they repent from their wickedness, uh, then he says, I, I turn the wilderness uh, back into rivers and, and water springs upon the dry ground, and I make it a fruitful land. And, and that is just all quite beautiful. Excuse me. So he's showing that that these people are moving into an area of habitation and that they are nevertheless going to have their own area, which is going to be sort of like on the other side of uh, Meridian, uh, of the Midianites, rather, of Midian, and and, and close to Mount Hor. And, and, uh, And we will see later that there is a scripture that that shows that uh, that this is very close to to the to Edom, the land of Edom. Uh, but uh, we will uh, not get into that just yet. But we'll get into it after a bit, and we'll show how that um, in verse forty it says, uh, "He poureth contempt upon the princes." And remember, uh, each of the tribes had a prince, so there were twelve princes and calls them to wander in the wilderness where there is no way. And we, we see how that, that, uh, that this, was, this was done by God because there was, just, uh, there was just so much wickedness and disobedience. Even with the Shekinah glory and all those experiences, it's just, uh, it's just absolutely, it's absolutely pathetic. That's what it is. Now, um, the Bible talks about um, uh, they were they they were forty years sojourned in the desert wilderness, um, and we're going to show you in a little bit how that how that that was not exactly as it sounds. There's something very very incredibly different that happened there that p- most people are not aware of, and I'm going to give you the scripture for it. But let's keep in mind that Israel frequently did interact with other uh, nations and, and cultures and existed side by side with them. Uh, and, and we're going to, uh, to <clears throat> need to understand that, to understand how that this thing with uh, Midian was a plan of God and how that uh, uh, the father-in-law uh, w- was not a pagan priest 
and uh, that has been proven by those that have done the research. I'm not sure how much time I'll have to get into that, uh, but in um, let's go to uh, let's go uh, to my next part here that I call the Ethiopian mystery. Um, let's make sure I've, I've crossed. I read all my other scriptures here. Uh, just a second. Oh yeah, here's a scripture I'm going to want. Okay, now um, let's look at um, let, let's look at at uh, at uh, some of these scriptures that uh, are so important to understand uh, about the you know the the forty years um, and and uh, in the wilderness and and what this incredible revelation that I want to share with you. Okay, uh, let's look at um, Numbers 14.33. Numbers 14.33. And, and this is going to be probably a surprising scripture to a lot of people. Um, because a lot of people have, have missed this and have not understood. Have not understood. Okay. Now, um, fourteen numbers fourteen thirty-three. Okay, here we go. And your children shall wander in the wilderness forty years, and bear your whoredoms until your carcasses be wasted in the wilderness. After the number of the days which ye searched the land. Even forty days, each day for a year, shall you bear your iniquities. Even forty years, and you shall know my breach of promise. Now this is the most incredible thing that people have not known. And that is that when they moved into the Midian, Midian area, which was the, the, like the Sela, city of Sela and, and Midianite area, God made a, a deal with them. He made a covenant. And he made a covenant that uh, they would only have to, to spend 40 days after having arrived at, at their destination, they would have to spend only 40 days uh, at different jaunts in the wilderness not that they wouldn't spend more than that with some of their uh, other plans, which I'll describe to you in a few minutes. But it would become a proxy for the 40 years. Now, let's look at Ezekiel. Don't lose your place in numbers. But let's look at Ezekiel 4.6, just so that we can put this together in a true way. Ezekiel 4.6. And when thou hast accomplished them, lie again on thy right side, and thou shalt bear the iniquities of the house of Judah forty days. I have pointed thee each day for a year. Now here we see that Ezekiel is told that he is to bear the iniquity of the house of Israel um, uh, forty days, and that all those forty days 
would would each day would represent a year. So so the forty days ended up representing forty years, and that was an exact parallel to the thing that happened with the children of Israel. Forty days became the proxy for 40 years. So the people of Israel didn't have to go out there and spend and spend 40 years in the wilderness in, in places that there was no water and places that there was, there was no food to speak of. But they, they were able to go to a habitation, to a, to, to a city. Uh, there among the Selah place, the, the Midian place, the uh, Horeb uh, place, and, and, and make their habitation were spread out in those areas. And then they would send their armies out to, um, uh, as scouts to check to see if there was any other armies uh, that were, that were uh, getting ready to besiege them. Uh, they would also go out on training, <clears throat> and and they would go out in order to keep uh, physically fit, and and physically adapted to the climate, and uh, and and this is what really what really happened. This is what really happened. The, these people weren't weren't out there in the wilderness for for uh, forty years. Uh, uh, in the in the total literal sense, they were there uh, for a period of time in the literal sense, but not for forty years, because a a great part of that was set off by a proxy, by a proxy of forty days. And and people can believe this word of God if they want to, or they can just not believe it. But but this very example that it gives here in Ezekiel. Uh, makes it very, very clear, you know. He's thou shalt bear, uh, thou shalt uh, bear the house of Judah forty days. I have pointed thee each day for a year. So those forty days were representing forty years, and that's exactly the same scenario that I just read you uh, uh, out, out in um, in the book in the book of uh, of Numbers fourteen thirty three. <coughs> Now, that is quite a different story. That is quite a different story, and and uh, and uh, we um, <clears throat> we know that the the glory cloud was over them on their journey, and we can suppose that the glory cloud then moved <clears throat> from being directly over the people. To being moved over Mount Horeb, and and the glory was then focused over on that mount, and and then the people were left uh, without being under such uh, particular uh, scrutiny uh, of that divine government. Uh, not that they did not have to be obedient, but uh, that they uh, <coughs> would not uh, have to be under that glory cloud for 40 years which is a little bit too spiritual for such a human people to be able to actually even stand they're just they're just you know 50% physical 50% spirit and God understood that totally understood that but he wanted to get them 
to their destination, and he did get them there. And that's the real true story. And so when they're digging up pottery over in those areas, and they're saying, well, you know, this is, this is pottery, pottery of, of the Midians and of the Egyptians. <laughs> oh, yeah? Well, that's the kind of pottery that the, that the Israelites were using. And, and uh, so uh, when they think that they haven't found any pottery um, at that time, after they once arrived to the city of habitation, um, they have, but they just didn't recognize that some of that pottery actually was being used by the, the Israelites. And so they've missed out on that whole story, and missed out on that whole truth, and then it makes it seem like that these stories are just not true. But they are true. And it's just, it's just all, all beautiful and all glorious when we begin to see how that God is, has moved by His Spirit throughout time and, and has, has done all these, you know, these, these wonderful things that He has done. Okay, <clears throat> let's move on to the Ethiopian mystery. And I guess we have to start at Exodus 12. So turn with me to Exodus 12, because a very strange thing happened in Exodus 12. And uh, just a ridiculous thing. Now, did I say Exodus 12? Uh, let me see here. Oh, it might have been a different scripture. Hold on. Hold on. <clears throat> it's Numbers 12. Sorry. Numbers 12. And Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. Now, let me explain this story to you, because as people are mixed up with it. They think that uh, Zipporah, uh, his uh, wife that he met in Midian, uh, must be dead, uh, and he's married some other Ethiopian uh, all of a sudden. Well, let's get some sense into this. Where this is at is... I told you in the beginning that Moses left his wife and his, two, and his children. He did not want to take him, them over to Egypt uh, during all this time of, of the plagues and all the things that were going to be happening over there and, and the fact that uh, there could be some people still against Moses and trying to kill him and his family. And um, uh, uh, that, he, that they, they went at a certain time, but but they didn't go at, at, at the time that I'm referring to. And um, so Aaron and Miriam had never seen the wife of Moses. They just knew that he was married, and, and they knew that he had two, two sons. But when the time came that Jethro, the father-in-law, brought his wife and his two sons, uh, and met them on the sojourn of the journey to, to their place, that's when Miriam and Aaron suddenly saw that his wife, the Midianite, 
was a Cushite, was an Ethiopian woman. And that she was black. And they freaked out. And they begin to say, ah, you've married, you're married out, you've gone against your own laws, and you, you have married out of the, out of order. And, uh, you know, and, and, and I'm sure that uh, when, uh, uh, Jethro began to, uh, give advice to Moses, uh, and, and begin to, uh, advise, uh, Moses of, of, uh, you know, like when he saw that Moses was out there day and night just with with thousands of people, you know, or hundreds of people just uh, answering their questions and trying to solve uh, disputes, he said, oh, no, 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 you must not do this. Go and elect people from all the different tribes <coughs> and let them handle this, and you take only the most severe uh, cases. So he realized that that was right, and he listened to Jethro, uh, this this priest of Midian, and 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 uh, when uh, you know uh, <clears throat> Miriam and, and Aaron began to see how that uh, all of this was going down, they didn't like it. They they thought, why well, you know these these foreigners are going to take over, and and, and when uh, uh, Jethro came. Moses ran out to meet him. He 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 did the the culture bow thing and and uh, like he kissed his hand and and he really recognized him as, as being uh, quite an important person, which was not something that we ever have a case of Moses doing to anybody else. And uh, and uh, so uh, this this is an incredible thing, and Miriam and. And Aaron began to speak against uh, Moses because of this Ethiopian woman. And there is there is scripture to show that that uh, this thing of Ethiopian is 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 an incredible thing. Uh, I want you um, uh, first. Let's let's finish this in in Numbers twelve. Uh, and they said. Moses and Aaron said, verse 2, Hath the Lord spoken only to Moses? Has he not spoken also to us? Now the man Moses was very meek above all men which were upon the face of the earth. And the Lord spake suddenly unto Moses, and unto Aaron and unto Miriam, Come out you three into the tabernacle of the congregation. And they came out. And the Lord came down in the pillar of the cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both came forth and... You can read the story. They got told off. And more than that, Miriam ended up with leprosy. And they really got in trouble. And except for the the mercy prayers of, of uh, Moses, uh, they they would have faced a, a life of being expelled from the from the plan of God. But now let's go on and let's read some things. Turn to Psalm sixty-eight thirty-one. Psalm sixty-eight thirty-one, and let's check into this marine, this uh, Ethiopian thing a little bit, because there's there's a lot of story. I won't be able to tell it all tonight, but we will eventually. Sixty-eight thirty-one. Uh, here here's what it it says. Princes shall come out of Egypt. Ethiopia 
shall soon stretch out her hands unto God. Well, the princes that will come out of Egypt, of course, are the twelve princes of the tribes of Israel. And Ethiopia shall soon stretch out her hands unto God, you know, is in part talking about this very occasion of the Ethiopian people that Jethro and his family is. These Cushites. And, and they are, you know, very, very selected people of God. And in fact, there is right now in Israel a hundred thousand of these what they call Ethiopian Jews. They're black. They are part of the lost tribes. And they have been brought into Israel. But there still remains, which are strict Jews, they, they, they speak Hebrew. There's still a million of them left in Ethiopia. A million of them. In addition to the 100,000 that have been taken into to Israel. Part of the lost tribe. Let's think about Ethiopia. There is a revelation. Princes shall come out of Egypt. Ethiopia shall soon stretch out her hands unto God. There's a plan there for these Ethiopians. And no doubt Jethro and his seven daughters were all part of that plan. And though they were in Midian, that doesn't really mean they were Midianites. Except in the sense that if you move to China, God bless China, but you were an Englishman, God bless the English, and you lived there in, in China, you would still be an Englishman, but you would be perhaps a, a Chinese citizen. But that wouldn't make you a China, Chinaman. And that's the way it was with the Midianites. They were Midianites, and they were what they were. And they were the they were offspring of of a concubine of of Abraham. But Jethro and his daughters were different, and, and they didn't always get along with the people because that's how actually Noah. Now, pardon me, not Noah, but Moses got involved uh, with them. Is he was at this well of water, and some of the daughters came to get water for. The, for their needs, and uh, the shepherd people, which were Midianites, didn't exactly feel friendly toward them, and drove them away. And then when Moses saw what they were doing, he was a military man. He had, as an Egyptian, gone over into Ethiopia and fought with the Ethiopians, and as legend says, he defeated them as an, as an Egyptian. But he was, he was a powerful uh, military man. <coughs> so he defended 
these daughters of Jethro against these local shepherd Midianites. And they left those girls alone, and they got their water. And when they got back early and didn't have to wait and keep coming back to everybody else was done, Jethro said, what's happened here? How come you're home so early? And they said, well, there was a man there who defended us and allowed us to get the water. And, they said, and he said, have you invited him to come here? And he said, well, no. He says, well, you find that man and invite him to come here. I want to meet him. And then he brought him into to his, to his, his home, and, uh, and uh, eventually he married one of his daughters, and, and eventually he was put over, uh, you know, uh, managing all his, his, uh, his uh, cattle and animals. And in fact, that's what he was doing when he had taken them out to try to find more pasture for them over by Mount Horb. Uh, he was with the, the, these, uh, you know, um, cattle or sheep. And, uh, and that's when he spotted the burning bush. So that job that he had was a contact to a contact. And, and, and the city, the Sela and the city of the Midianites was a was a location contact to a location contact. It was all in preparation for where the children of Israel would meet. It was an incredible Selah plan. No wonder David says, Selah, Selah, thus saith the Lord. Selah. <laughs> it's about the Shekinah glory coming down and being revealed on the mount. And even the very figure of the Lord coming right down into the tabernacle in a bodily form from out of the Shekinah glory. Ladies and gentlemen, the Word of God is true. I believe in the Bible. I believe in the Word. I just understand that it has to be interpreted. It has to be understood for what the truth is. Not, not for some missing piece of, of pottery ware. And I'm not putting anything down on the, on the archaeologists. They're professional people. But there's no way they can know the story without a revelation. This is seer prophet revelation. And yet, it's in the Word, but the Bible says a book was handed to the people. And having eyes they could not see, and having ears they could not hear. And they could not read the mystery. They could not read the revelation. It's only by the Holy Spirit can these things be opened so you can see what is actually in the Word and put it together. It's just absolutely incredible. Blessed be the name of God. And I think that right as we're speaking this Word, Ethiopia shall soon stretch out her hands. I think even this revelation is a part of that. It's a, it's a, a revelation about about the Ethiopia children of God, and how that how that uh, that the, that the people that are into their theology of belief, how that they are so ready <coughs> because of color or because of excuse me <coughs> or because of national status, they're so ready to judge those people and condemn them. And that's what they were doing on that day against against uh, uh, Moses. 
And God came down and said, you stop this right now. You get leprosy. You get this. You're messing around with a divine plan. And that's making you a leopard. That's making you have leprosy. I think this is a message to the world out there. Get off of these other people. I don't care who they are, what religion they have, what race they are. They're human beings. They have souls. If you gain the whole world and lose the soul, what is it worth? You need to pray for these people that have souls. Just because it's not your religion, your faith, your nation, your culture, that is no reason to have blasphemous things to say. Judge not, otherwise you will be judged. Wow. Wow. Okay. We want to read some other things. Turn to, turn to Acts 8.27. The book of Acts 8.27. We want to read about another Ethiopian. How that God moves by his spirit. And we'll look at, um, we're looking at um, uh, Acts 8.27. And we better start with 26. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward, um, go, go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down to Jerusalem, unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship and was returning and sitting in his chariot, and read Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. I wonder how many people today would be able to do that, who are in their classic uh, uh, moods uh, against uh, people of other races, of other cultures, of other religions. Say, oh God, I don't, I don't want to go sit by that person. I came all the way out here in the desert for this. Okay, God is speaking and trying to bring peace to this world. We've got to start with every, with ourselves. Wow. Then the Spirit said to, jo, uh, to Philip, Go near and join thyself to, to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him. Oh, how we like to see that kind of action. When God says, go do this, and the people that God speaks to, they run to obey the word of God. Go near and join yourself to his chariot. And Philip ran thither and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. He wasn't. He wasn't having a problem with race, was he? And the place of the scripture where he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In the humiliation his judgment was taken away. Who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the, and the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet uh, uh, this of himself or some other man? Philip opened his mouth, began to, at the same scripture, and preached to him Jesus. Wow. 
And when they went on their way, they came to a certain water, and the eunuch said, Here's water. What does hinder me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, thou mayest. And he answered, and he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down into the water, both Philip and the, and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Oh, I just feel the Spirit coming all over me when I'm reading this. And when they were come out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip's, <laughs> caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went his way rejoicing. But Philip was found um, at uh, Azotus, and passing through, preached to the cities till he came to Caesarea. Wow. That's a story about an Ethiopian. Does God have a connection? Is God trying to show people something in this Ethiopian mystery? There's going to be princes come out of Egypt. But if they can't understand the mystery of the Ethiopians, the Ethiopians shall soon stretch out their hands unto God, and God is going to answer. Wow. You know, the father-in-law of, of Moses, the father had a name other than, than the one. He, he, he was also called, uh, called Ruel. And, um, and that's like the friend of God. And, there's, and he had another name. So it just, it just wasn't one name. Jethro wasn't the only name. And and so in all those names are meanings and connections. And so this Kishite woman, Zipporah, she was she was that Ethiopian. Now in Habakkuk three seven and nine, let's read what it says there. Habakkuk three seven and nine. It's in the Old Testament. I want you to find that. Wow. Because this is important scripture, and it really verifies something for the people that that just don't have the understanding uh, of it. They think that they got to be uh, real uh, technical. Let's let's just read this and see. Chapter three, Habakkuk, and and uh, just uh, look with me if you would, verse seven through nine. And I saw the tish, the tents of, uh, of uh, Kishan in affliction, and the curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Now this is what is called a parallel. And Kishan is the same thing as, as the, uh, the Kishite. C-U-S-H-I-T-E, which is involved with the name the Ethiopian. And here we see in this scripture is connected the tents of Kishan in affliction, and the curtains of the land of Midian did tremble because they are together. They are put together. They, they are, are in parallel. And so here is proof of this thing that I'm saying to you in this scripture. Bible proof that 
that this Kushite woman, this Ethiopian woman, was Zipporah. Now, just think about it. During this whole time, they are fleeing from Egypt. They're on their way to escape. They've gone some distance, and they're getting going to. They're meeting with with uh, Jethro and her and daughter and family of Moses. Where did Moses have time on this journey for anybody from the outside to come in? For all of a sudden, for him to just be married to an Ethiopian, how did he do this on that trip? Absolutely ridiculous. He didn't. Except that when his wife came, that's when Miriam and Aaron saw that she was Ethiopian and made their big challenge. And it's the only thing that makes sense. Now, in legend, in story, when Moses went over in, in, in war, and he had to go through, according to this legend, these fields of poisonous snakes, and he brought with him a lot of these critters that, uh, that killed these snakes and set them out so that they would go out there and chase away the snakes so his Egyptian army could get through on a shortcut. The Ethiopians were not expecting that. And when he got through, he was able to get through and catch them unawares and defeat them. And there was a, an Ethiopian queen, who's a beautiful princess-type queen. And uh, the story goes that, that she fell in favor. She really, uh, when she saw how that Moses fought, that she fell like in love with him. But the real story is this. When Moses saw that queen, that Ethiopian queen, he saw that she was beautiful. And something hit him in his heart, but he didn't know what it was. But he finished winning the victory over those people, and he left those people, and he left that queen. He could have taken her. He, he, he won the battle. He could have taken any of those people as hostages, but he didn't. But when he saw Zipporah, he was shocked because she too was an Ethiopian and she looked very, very much like that princess queen that he saw over in Ethiopian, uh, Ethiopia when he was in war. And that is just an extra story because he had carried her picture in his mind and, and his heart had grown fond of that, of that Ethiopian prince and queen. And then when he was taken to the land of Midian, and there he met in this land of the Midianites, the Ethiopians, and found his, his, his queen. It was an incredible thing that God did for Moses. And that's that part of that story. Okay. Now there's something very interesting. I want to see what you think about this. When Moses was up on the mountain of Hor, of Horeb, and he was um, receiving the the commandments, 
And he came back down. And after 40 days, the people had given up on Moses and talked Aaron into making a, uh, a golden calf idol. And it angered God and it angered Moses. And Moses cast down his, his tablets and they broke. And God, the Bible says, was ready to destroy all the people of Israel, including Aaron. Moses said, I had to pray for Aaron in order to save his life. I had to pray for the people of Israel in order to save them. And I said, Lord, if you're going to take them, you're going to destroy them, destroy me also. And God said to Moses, reason with me. These people have done a terrible thing. Step aside and let me destroy them. And I will make thee a nation mightier and greater than them. Now, I want to see if you really get this. Step aside and let me destroy them for what they have done. And I will make thee a nation mightier and greater than they. That's Deuteronomy 9.14. Now, who and how would he make this nation mightier and greater? Well, it would have been married to his Ethiopian wife and their children and their offspring. Because unless he became a Solomon, which that wasn't the nature of of, uh, Moses at all to do, and ended up with 900 wives, a thousand wives with his concubines, this was a tribute to the Ethiopians, to those particular Ethiopians, those people that are actually Jews, part of the lost tribe, who has said, Princes shall come out of Egypt, and Ethiopia shall soon stretch out her hands unto God. Wow! There's more to this than meets the eye. It's an incredible, absolutely beautiful, awesome story. This is what Moses could have done. And he knows that God's not a liar. And he says, hey, I'll make you a nation mightier and greater than anything these people of Israel have ever been. I'll make it from your seed. But Moses chose not to do that. But if he had chosen, you see where it would have gone. Wow. Okay. I got a hustle here. I, I, I just can't believe how far I am from getting to the point I want to get. Turn with me to um, Deuteronomy 8-7. Okay, 8-7. For the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains of depths, that spring of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vine and fig trees, pomegranates, a land of oil, olive, and honey, a land wherein thou shalt eat bread without uh, a scarceness, and thou shalt not lack anything, in a land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills thou mayest dig brass. Wow. 
this is in the same uh, scripture area where in the fourth verse before it well let's actually take the third verse before it there's something very interesting here and he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger you talk about children of Israel fed thee with man of which thou knewest not neither did thy fathers know now listen to this verse that, that he gives here in Deuteronomy and see if you don't remember that being spoken someplace else. Neither did thy fathers know that he might make thee know that man does not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Do you remember Jesus Christ saying that to, to, to Satan on the Mount of Transfiguration? When he said, turn this, these rocks into bread. And he said, uh, you know, the, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. You know, for man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Jesus quoted the scriptures given by the Spirit to, to Moses way, way back. And thy raiment waxed not old upon thee, neither did thy foot swell these forty years. Wow. Well, well, the interesting thing is, and I don't have the time to go into it now, <clears throat> but archaeologically wise, um, there are those who claim that this portion of 7 through, uh, through 9 or 10, where it says, you know, you'll have stones... Uh, in a land where stones are iron and out of whose hills Dalmatic brass is actually an area not too far from the city of of the Midianites. And it's not talking about when they get over the Jordan. That's just interesting to contemplate. <coughs> Lots of things that we do not know until God reveals it. <coughs> Excuse me. In Numbers 33, 37, I'll not turn there. I'm going to have to get moving here. Uh, it talks about the children of Israel moving from Kadesh to Mount Hor, uh, which is Horeb, uh, in the edge of the land of Eden. And so we see they're all over in that area. That is where they stay and that is where they go to. Aaron, he dies in the 40th year out of Egypt. After they've been 40 years out of Egypt, he dies in Mount Horus. So that whole time, they have been there, and he dies at 123 years old. Wow. Wow. Okay. Now, <clears throat> let me see what else we've got to cover here. And I don't know... <laughs> how we're going to do it, but um, let's um, let's get let's get into the shrouded turban. Okay, now we begin to see how that the 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 um, Shekinah glory, how that it had effect on raiment and clothes, and we know that in. Um, uh, the 17th chapter of Matthew where it talks about the transfiguration 
and in the ninth chapter of Luke where it talks about the transfiguration, we see the effect on, on the clothes of Jesus, how that they were turned they were brightened and they were turned white as snow. So we know that this glory effect has something to do with affecting clothing. Now I want to get into this story of the transfiguration. But uh, first, let me just see if I can get the Shroud of Turban out of the way. I am not saying the Shroud of Turban is the cloth that covered Jesus. I am not saying that it is not. God has never spoken to me an exact uh, uh, final thing on that. But it is a very interesting piece. And it seems like that it's very clear that their dating in the beginning was askewed, their carbon dating, because there had been a fire that they did not take into effect that had that changed the effect of the carbon dating. And there had been uh, repair after that fire made, and that the cloth that was put on and, uh, to repair it was not as old as the original cloth. And it was from that piece of cloth that they took uh, the sample that was not as old a piece of cloth that gave them their radiocarbon date. Uh, so there's a lot of things that have not been finished out or proven yet, but there is definitely a very strange things uh, about that shroud. And uh, recently <clears throat> I, I saw a, um, uh, a very, very interesting uh, journal, uh, a picture journal that was done on uh, the art where they were actually using uh, the um, uh, computer systems uh, to to go, to go into uh, uh, that uh, whole shroud and and to use it as a, a negative image and print uh, uh, containing a 3D information reverse negative, uh, all brought about from a kind of reverse refraction. Uh, I found that extremely interesting uh, taking it from a uh, a photo uh, sensitive emission uh, which was not supposed to be able to be conveyed that way uh, I, I I found it very interesting uh, what this artist did and the sculpture that he made the painting that he made and and I think that uh, we we have to just keep our mind open on it until the Lord would review would would reveal. But I want to give you a scripture that shows how that the the stains which have been called paint and all kinds of other things on that shroud uh, most likely would have been left. So if you will turn with me to Malachi and let me read from Malachi a very interesting Holy Manifest doctrine uh, that uh, I haven't done a teaching on for a long, long time. But we'll do a little touch of it on here tonight. Go with me to Malachi um, 2, 15. Let's start with 14. 
Yet ye say, Wherefore, because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against whom hast thou dealt treacherously, yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant? And did not he make one? Yet had he the residue of the Spirit. And wherefore one? That he might seek a godly seed. Therefore take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. Now the awesome part here, connecting it to the solemnness and, and the sacredness of marriage, is this residue of the spirit that is created. And how that, therefore, everyone should understand how that he might seek a godly seed, and therefore take heed to your spirit. I want to say that when the spirit is in the body, and when the spirit exits the body, or due for a number of reasons and circumstances, um, takes an exit, if even for a moment or two from the body, uh, there is a residue that the spirit can leave. And when a spirit passes through a body, to exit that body and to exit any cloth that would be over that body, the spirit can and does leave a residue, which all has to do with aspects that can include uh, dematerialization, aspects that can include phototranslation, phototransmission, and uh, numerous other things uh, that, that would be involved uh, even in afterlife uh, uh, by location. So that is my answer to the shrouded turban, that yes, there was a residue effect that was left there, and that was caused by the spirit within. And there's much, much more uh, when I have the time to, to minister it that... Uh, I will be able to get into that, but I'm, I'm just absolutely running out of, uh, of time. Now, before I get into the transfiguration, um, let me just real fast uh, read these scriptures. This won't take long. Um, the covering angels of Exodus. I said earlier that I would go over some scriptures to show that, that these people of Israel did not have the strength in the army to really go in and defeat, for instance, those people in the land of the giants, um, they they did not have they did not have what it would take to go in there and defeat those guys, and 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 that's why they did not go and hide in the underground city at Edrei. They did not go under there because they felt like, hey, you know, it's only six hundred thousand of these of these people, and we outnumber them and we're stronger and. And we'll just destroy them. But what they did not count on 
is Deuteronomy 9.3, which says, The Lord will go before you, and this was about destroying the giants, will go before you as a consuming fire, and will bring them down. And I think that Shekinah glory that was over the children of Israel was over them at that time, and that cloud ship was over them. And syntonic fire from God came down as a consuming fire, and it destroyed many, 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 many hundreds, maybe thousands of these giants. Destroyed them to, the, to such a point that even their bones were disintegrated into dust. Too bad for the archaeologists there. But there were some bones of the giants left, of course. But that's the story of what happened there. And it says so right in Deuteronomy 9.3. The Lord goes before you as a consuming fire to destroy the giants, to bring them down. That's what that's saying. Wow. And in Exodus 14.14, 14, the Lord shall fight for you. In Exodus 23.20 and 23, the angel will go before you, will go before Israel and Moses. In Exodus 34.24, I will cast out the nations before you. In Exodus uh, 34.24, I will cast out the nations before you. In Exodus 33.2, an angel will be sent to drive out and it lists all whole bunch of nations and it gives all these nations and it says that there's an angel going to go and drive these these people out and, and we remember how that Israel although it's just right in the same land and right next to the the people of uh, of of Egypt how that they were unaffected by the plagues just by being obedient to what the Lord said to do now you begin to see that that's just absolutely incredible just absolutely incredible and, and there's another scripture that talks about that God would send the hornets. Well, the hornets happen to also be a symbol, which is shown many times on the hieroglyphics of the Egyptians. And there's very, very interesting history how that before uh, uh, Israel moved over into those lands, that the Egyptians' army was over there for quite some period of time and basically destroyed the 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 uh, weaponry and the armed might of those nations. They were very weakened from having been conquered uh, by the Egyptians and, and, and were having to uh, pay tolls to, to the Egyptians uh, for having lost, uh, lost that whole situation. Okay, now, transfiguration. Trans means over. There's a physical process, and uh, there's a divine light involved, which we can call amtricity, and we can call syntone, and we can even call syntonic, just depending on how it's being used. Let's look at Luke 9.29. And as he prayed, now he's on top of the mountain here of transfiguration. As he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered and his raiment 
was white and glistening. The fashion of his countenance was altered. What that means is his visage, his appearance, his face, his person, his presence was changed. And in Greek concordance of, of 1096 plus 2087, it means the other or the difference. And that is, that is very, very interesting uh, because that ties into, uh, you know, the, uh, the other aspect that I shared with you on the residue, which also means the other. And uh, his countenance was altered. Uh, we know in Mark's 16th chapter, it talks about uh, different bodies. Uh, we're going to get into 1 Corinthians 15 in just a minute. Uh, it talks about the glory of God in Exodus 33, 18 through 22 in a very interesting way that ties into all these things we're getting into. But getting into this revelation of, 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 of altered also means to become transparent. Uh, to cause to be divided, to generate. So what I, w I want to share with you on that is, is the fact that you have a spirit and you have a body. So if you turn with me to first uh, book of uh, Corinthians uh, chapter 15, let me share with you something out of there that ties into this whole story. Wow. Corinthians 15. Okay, and let's look at... Uh, oh, let's just start where he's talking about verse 40. You know, there are celestial bodies, bodies terrestrial. Uh, we're in the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians. Uh, and another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. One star different from another in the glory, uh, in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It's sown in corruption. It's raised in incorruption. It's sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. Sown in weakness. It's raised in power. Sown in a natural or sown in a natural body. Raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body. There is a spiritual body. Now, I think what we people have got to understand is that there is a spiritual body. It's very important that you understand this thing about you have a spirit and that is considered a spiritual body. You have a body and that's considered a physical body. We have already seen how that the Shekinah glory can take on the power of displacement so that it, it had a kind of, of transparent substance that filled the whole tabernacle so that the body of Moses could not even get into the tabernacle. Now, the angel of your spirit, the angel of your presence, is the angel of your spirit. Now, I've had personal experience several times and in meetings that I have been in, I have seen it happen to other people through special services that we conducted in which the spirit 
the angel of the presence, would rise up out of the body and rise up above the body and sometimes go all the way to the top of, of the ceiling and touch it and come back down into the body. I've seen this wide awake with my own eyes and many, many people uh, there to see it and witness it, not only in me but in other persons. This is real. It's not a fake thing. It's not some magical thing. It's not some uh, evil thing. But, but, it, but it is real. And it, it ties into this Shekinah glory filling the whole tabernacle and how that it has a transparency. But that transparency does not mean that it does not have a body form and a body substance. And that trans from transfiguration, trans over, going over. Um, and, and God, as we have been able to see in the New Testament and the Old Testament, can configure the eyes of a person whose eyes have been holden and they cannot see. They can be there right when someone else is there and not see a, a person, not see an angel, not, not hear the voice of thunder uh, until their eyes and ears that are beholden are opened. And then suddenly they can partake in it. And it becomes an incredible and wonderful thing. And so this is just the absolute beauty of the revelation of the glory of God. It's just absolutely beautiful. Now, we do not need to think that this brightness is not powerful. Because in Second Thessalonians... Uh, chapter 2 verse 8 it talks about that God will destroy the wicked with the brightness of his coming his very coming in this brightness in this uh, syntonic fire of electricity will be like the very spirit of his mouth speaking these these words of consuming fire that just as the giants were destroyed these wicked will be destroyed it's the story of the Bible. It goes all the way back to Genesis. If we're not going to believe the Bible because of these kind of things, then you can't really believe the Bible, period. Because it's all the way through the Bible. So, when there were... The, when Jesus appeared in, in, with different bodies, as it describes in, in Mark 16, he wasn't limited to just one transfiguration. If you take the trans off and you just have figuration, you have the lattice of that person, what he is. His persona, his, persona, his, you know, his personality, his lattice, what he looks like, what he is. That's his figuration. But when you have a transfiguration, it's, it is a change, an alteration that's coming uh, from across, from the, other, from the other, from the other side. And that brings us into the effect of when that energy begins to move, as it did in the days of the Shekinah glory coming down and filling the tabernacle, and filling it to the extent that no other human could walk in there because it was full of, of an energy that was transparent, could not be seen, but nevertheless was real in a sense of a spiritual substance. There is a physical body, there is a spiritual body. We have to understand that. 
And if our eyes could be opened, you'd be able to see the spiritual body. And when it talks about seeing the glory of Jesus or the glory of God, it's really talking about seeing the, seeing the spiritual body. And Moses prayed, prayed that he would be able to see the, the spiritual body of the Lord. And the Lord said to him, you cannot. Because in the day that you see the, the body that you want to see, which is the higher presence, he said, that day, day you will die. But he says, I will make it so if you hide behind this rock and hold up your hand, that you will be able to see as I pass by the rear, part, the rear parts of, of me. Well, I've done a great teaching on that. Uh, and I say great, I don't mean because of my presentation, because, but, the, but the, the, uh, the intent of this revelation is great. And how the, that that rear part of the body represents the angels of God. And you, you'll be able to see the angels, but you're not going to be able to see this first presence. So there's all these different glories that that are being made uh, available to to Peter, John, and James, but not being made available to them in the way that some people might think. Because one of the first things that happened to them the intensity of the Spirit was so great on the Mount of Transfiguration with, with the Spirit of Moses there, the Spirit of Elijah there, with the Spirit of Jesus there, with the angels of God there, that Peter, James, and John just immediately went into a deep subaddition. And so it's very, very clear in, in the Scripture uh, of the Transfiguration uh, that that uh, that they were told, you know, uh, when you, when you when you come down from the mountain, uh, you have to keep this a secret. You cannot you cannot tell this, and 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 now listen to what it says here, chapter seventeen of Matthew, verse nine, and as they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, saying, "Tell the vision to no man." until the Son of Man be risen again from the dead. So when they saw Moses, when they saw uh, Elijah, when they saw the transfiguration of Jesus, they were seeing it through a sub-audition vision. This allowed them to see some of these things that if they saw them actually in the flesh instead of by the Spirit, it would be syntonically destructive to their physical well-being. And therefore, they were to see it in a vision. And that's what Jesus says. Tell this vision to no man. This, this was a vision that they saw up there. It was, it was a, a subduction. It was, it, it was incredible, this connection that they were receiving. It was a sub-addition. And it was a beautiful, absolutely wonderful, glorious thing. And Jesus answered and said to them, Elijah truly shall come first and restore all things, but I say to you, he has already come. And they were just beginning to get their eyes open. And this vision of this coming into the sub was opening it up for them. This is greater than teleportation. 
This power of phototransition, of phototranslation, is the very, the very secret and the very signature of divine light in a way that people have, haven't even begun to understand it. Haven't even begun to understand how, how powerful it is. The clothes of Jesus sh- shone and were brightened. And there was a generation of power. The brightness of his glory, the Bible says in Hebrew Hebrew one three. It talks about Jesus and the brightness of his glory as that being the express image of his person. So that when you come into that place where there is this dividing, this transfiguration, this dividing, the other is being manifested. And this spirit body is being visualized. And and that is part of the of, of the brightening, of the brightness of the glory. And you are seeing that. What you are then seeing is the express image of his person, which is something entirely greater and different than just seeing him in his persona of physical flesh. And that's Hebrews 1.3. And the thing about this special kind of brightness is it does not come from any one direction. It is just from all directions, like a soundtron circuit. Jam, bam. And it's just there. And it affects the clothes, just like the Shekinah glory affected the ground and everything. It's a divine light. It's it's syntone. It's amatricity. It's a glorious and beautiful thing. And that's transfiguration. And the story is beholding you by the Spirit without any need in that new interface of any gravity. For gravity cannot and does not affect the spiritual body. And that's just a little bit of light in addition to what you've got. And I see by the time that we do not have time to go into our sub-edition, so we'll have to put that off till next week, as I said we might have to. Because the sub-edition thing could take us as long as an hour. And it's a trip into spirit and vision by the spirit. And it is glory to glory, strength to strength, power to power, vision to vision. It's a wonderful trip in which you will be connected to a spiritual link and circuit. God bless you so much. I just didn't have time to completely really finish this teaching. But next week, we should be able to finish everything. Number 10 should be our finishing um, message to finish the tracks upon the Mount of Transfiguration and complete the series and also get us into the sub-edition trip. We love you. Let me have this prayer for you people. I had a burden upon me that there were people with headaches, with migraine headaches, 
and that they needed deliverance. I'm going to just take the time to pray instead of doing the sub-edition gnosis or any of the other kind of, of Gentile. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And to these people with these migraine headaches, I ask you to reach out this very moment, this very instant, into their bodies. Whether it be nerves, whether it be any kind of physiological problem in their body, whether it be any kind of stress, whether it be any repeating kind of physical condition, that you at this moment touch their body and heal them of this migraine situation. Heal as you have done with so many other people on these meetings and messages. And we will praise you and glorify your name because you are the God of mercy and you are the God of love and you are the God that healeth. Blessed be your name, O Lord. Amen.